Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. On today's podcast, we speak to portfolio manager Don Newman as he reviews 2023 and what opportunities lie ahead for dividend investors. Don manages two dividend-focused funds, the Dividend Fund and Dividend Plus Fund. Don points out there's been a change in his investment strategy because of the rate changes we've experienced this year. He's looking for businesses that can withstand increased rates, zoning in on companies with less average, lower payout ratios. That means lower dividend yield, but can still grow under high interest rates. He adds that industrials have been a solid sector as of late. For example, it looks like the inventory destocking cycle is coming to an end, which means more shipping opportunities, specifically through rails. REITs have had a difficult year, but Don says there are still opportunities in real estate with respect to AI. Data centers could increase in demand next year, so Don is looking at firms with large cash flow that can use their unique data along with AI and produce a competitive advantage. This podcast was recorded on November 28th, 2023. It's great to see you. How are you, Don? I'm doing great. Nice to be here, Pamela. Yeah, great to see you in person. And uh, It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been too long. So let's dig into, suddenly we've had rates where they are, and some investors, not in a long time, maybe not in their lifetime, have been able to sort of sit there, zero risk, and get a 5% yield. It's, it's at least been an option yeah. in a way. Tell me where that is right now for looking at dividend opportunities and stocks. Yeah, so I, I think the first thing um, being as sort of anyone who uh, has been a saver, um, who's been like diligent with their money and been putting things away, has basically been, lack of a better word, punished for the last 10, 15 years, over, over a decade. So. It's really nice. People that are putting um, money in a money market account or buying bonds and everything, you know, actually get a real return uh, on their money. And that's that's terrific. Um, so I think what's happened to dividend stocks um, this year, and they've, they've been fine, but obviously have sort of underperformed the market, is in certain extent for the first time in that 10 to 15 year sort of uh, time frame, you've actually had competing asset classes. And that's been cash and that's been bonds. Uh, and to a certain extent, what that's done is said, okay, you now finally have an asset class you compete against, and it's put a little bit of pressure on sort of the multiples for the stocks. It's basically said, well, I've got this wonderful 3% yielding dividend stock, but I can get higher on cash. Bonds are yielding a little bit higher. I'm going to push that. I'm going to make that yield go up a little bit um, to compensate people for, for the higher rates, uh, and I'm going to push the multiples down. What's really interesting about this, though, is that over sort of the long term, two to three years from now, it's nice that you get like 5% on cash right now. But if we're at near the peak of interest rates, what you end up having is sometime over the next couple of years, you see that maybe you're getting 4% on cash, maybe you're getting 3% on cash. Um, bonds hopefully will have you know, worked and got you some sort of return. But the dividend stocks now are kind of like going price in that 5% competing uh, yield they need to compete against and have come down to a level where I think, like I look at my portfolio right now, it's like 13 times earnings and you've got good yields all over the place. You can actually buy dividend stocks at prices where earnings have grown, um, but the prices are the same or below where they've been in the last couple of years. And that's a yield that you get, you've got for the long term, unlike cash that could get cut, 
and it actually grows and should get higher and higher as the companies continue to grow. Um, so you've got an asset class that's actually been compressed because of compete, other competing asset classes that actually yields a good amount and that will grow going forward, unlike those competing asset classes. Fascinating. And so, so tell us what you've been doing for the last year. It's been a wild year for certain stocks. Yep. Um, well, certain stocks to the upside, but I'm talking about really the rest of the market and where some of the dividend Sure. Are. Yeah. There, it's probably been a little bit of change in strategy because as rates go up, um, you know that um, you're looking for businesses that sort of can withstand the, the increase in rates. Um, a lot of focus on companies that probably have a little bit less leverage, focuses that on companies that maybe the payout ratios are a little bit smaller. So their dividend yield may be a little bit less, but they can still grow and they can still grow under a condition where rates go up. Whereas you've got companies that got a little bit constrained because they've got high payout ratios and they've got high levels of debt. You can't grow as much if you're more of your more of your cash flow is going to those interest rate expenses. Um, so it's just been sort of I'd say good long-term growth companies, payout ratios that are pretty reasonable. Avoid a lot of companies with sort of the higher leverage. Um, but on the flip side, going forward in the next year, if rates have actually peaked, you know, it, it's, you start looking at companies that you know maybe have, uh, the companies haven't performed as well, um, and everyone's worried about those higher interest costs. But if the, the interest costs coming down, they actually may be better stocks in the next year. Right. Fascinating. Okay. And and a lot of these stocks are what some people would refer to as, you know, bond proxies. They have mm -hmm. the yield there. Yep. Um, let's go into some of the sectors, if you don't mind. And, sure. I, and I'm sure you're not looking at them as a, as a wide swath of yep. an industry. But I mean, it's hard to ignore what industrials have done, for instance, over yep. the course of the last while. Where then is the opportunity? Well, I think in, industrials have been a reasonable performers. They haven't been tech this year, but I think uh, in general, there's been some really good places to be in industrials. Um, you've got the sort of Inflation Protection Act in the, in the U.S. pumping you know, half a trillion dollars is sort of into the economy for um, infrastructure type projects. So companies, and you've seen a lot of them do very well this year, like uh, they're called ENC companies, so engineering and construction companies um, that are actually building things for the real economy as we transition into um, economy that's a little more green. Um, things need to be done, like plants for, for cars that are using EVs, um, plants you know, um, that more solar, more wind, more that sort of thing. All that requires engineering construction. So those type of companies have been good. Um, you look at you know some particular rails where we got um, the, there was a huge inventory destocking cycle uh, nice. earlier in the year. Like no one wanted to order because 2023 was going to be a terrible year. And it turns out, guess what? It wasn't. The economy was actually okay. Companies got their inventories down. Uh, and now you may actually have to restock a little bit so you can start shipping things more um, more, more, through, uh, more through rails. So there's been a number of places in sort of just that industrial space uh, where I may be a little bit worried about the consumer because you've got higher rates, um, but the industrial space or the business-to-business -business space has actually been pretty good. Right, right. And, and Okay, and let's go through some of the others, so yep. utilities and, and even REITs. I want to get into yep. REITs with you in a second because it's, well, let's, let's talk about REITs. It's, okay. it's been very difficult in certain areas, but, yep. but not all areas, actually. Yeah, there's it, been a bit of a baby out with a bathwater Yeah, situation. so there, there's been a, there's been a, sort of a couple situations uh, in REITs. One, sort of, you look at Canada versus the U.S., very, very different business models. Uh, it hasn't worked for Canada this year. So the typical Canadian business uh, model has very much been uh, directed towards the retail consumer, which is high payout ratio, so we give you a high dividend yield, 
but we also run at fairly high leverage. That's not a good situation uh, when rates go from one till five. So a lot of those companies are going to have to deal with you know, not raising their dividend as much, paying higher, in higher interest rates and earnings getting compressed a little bit. And cap rates have gone up, so all REITs have gone down. The U.S. sector uh, fared a little bit better, and there's actually been some really bright spots in, in, in both spots. You, you just have to go and sort of find them where the fundamentals are best, but a little bit lever lower leverage model, um, a little bit lower payout uh, model, and it's, they've done a little bit better than the Canadian REITs. I think the big headline in real estate this year and that everyone's really focused on is commercial real estate and mainly office. And right. office is not good. Mm -hmm. um, supply is, in some cases, um, you know, uh, vacancies like 20% in some markets. That's that's really high. Uh, you're clearly in a market where um, it's it's too high. Rents need to come down. Company needs to give more incentives. It costs a lot uh, to repurpose areas for people that are, are coming in and, and if they do finally rent the space. Um, but there's been some really good parts of the real estate market, and I think people sort of forget this. So um, you think about AI, it's flowing into data centers, guys that actually own the data centers, and they've been, they've been terrific. There's a couple big ones down in the US. Stocks are way, way up because the demand from just every business um, for more compute power has been there. Um, think about senior housing. It's actually been a pretty good, no one could put their parent um, into senior housing during the pandemic. Occupancy went way down, um, but the need doesn't change. So people still need to put a family member who's um, older and needs more care into senior housing. And not only has occupancy come down, uh, gone up, but you can find the labor now. As, as inflation starts to come down a little bit, you can start finding people and the cost um, of the labor has been um, coming down a little bit. Single family in the U.S. And we were talking just before we went mm -hmm. on here about basically no one in the U.S. can move right now. because They're there's all a, locked into yeah, their 30-year mortgage. It's a 30-year yeah. mortgage sitting at 3.5%. And what are you going to go? I'm going to move and my mortgage isn't portable. So I'm going to take it and I'm going to go and jump and buy a 7% mortgage. Um, if you're a family with kids, it's nice. You can live in the multifamily for so long. But if you've got two or three kids... Um, you go and look at maybe some single family rentals and that's been, you, you, get a, you get a backyard, you can basically say, okay, I'm going to rent for a couple years and then, you know, hopefully mortgage rates come down and I'll go back into the sort of uh, the buying market. But I, can't, I don't want to stuff my two or three kids into, you know, a two, a two bedroom apartment and, um, and where I don't have any kind of outdoor space. So that, that's been a good market. So th there are places that have actually been good in the REIT market. It just takes a little bit of work and make sure you sort of you, you go through the details. And, and you know, work with our analysts and find them. So um, we'll we'll go through some of the different sectors here. Taking a look at at, at the financial sector. So yep. your latest thoughts on, on the Canadian financial sure. sector. Sure. So yeah. this has been an area I, I've talked about it for um, for a, a while, and we can do banks and um, some sure. of, some of the other the other sector yeah. insurance. Mm -hmm. So. Um, it's been an area where um, I am a little bit worried about um, just just rollover in mortgages. Unlike the U.S., which is a thirty-year mortgage, in Canada we have a very um, short sort of term. We have amortization periods that are twenty-five years, but the actual term is five years. And I think you've got something like one hundred and eighty billion dollars in mortgages that roll over in twenty-four, three hundred billion in twenty-five, and uh, even more than that in twenty-six, because a lot of people bought in you know twenty and twenty-one when when rates were, were low and they're going to have to roll over. And that's going to put some pressure on, on people's uh, finances. And you saw today with the particular bank that report reported provisions for credit losses 
went up a lot. Um, now they happen to be the particular bank that reported happened to be Scotia Bank, um, happened to be a little more, a little under more under provision than some of the other banks. Um, but you're going to see some credit card that's you know data that eventually there will be higher delinquencies there, and and some of the banks will have to increase their provision for credit losses. Um, it's an area I've been underweight this year. Um, I preferred things like property and casualty insurance. Okay. Um, sort of short cycle, um, you basically reprice every year. Yeah. Um, they don't really have any credit exposure. Um, so, and as interest rates have gone up, they're just sitting there, you give them money and then they eventually pay claims, but they're sitting on a float uh, and they make more and more. Every time the interest rates ran up, they were making more money. And it's kind of what's called a hard market. And that just basically means there's not a lot of excess capital coming into the market. So there's the ability to actually sort of price uh, and, and sort of and take that price uh, and um, push it, uh, you know, push it onto consumers. So you're not only getting higher revenue, um, your margins are pretty good as long as the company is doing a good job um, with costs. Uh, you're also getting higher um, money that's being earned on your float, and all, most of those companies have done uh, really well this year. What I would say about banks is. Um, there have been two really amazing times to buy banks in the last 20 years, and it was 2008 and it was 2020, and at both times they hit book value, um, the sector in, in total. Um, this is a very interesting scenario in which there are actually two Canadian banks. Uh, we're not in a recession, um, but there's such a worry around a recession and higher rates that a couple of Canadian banks are actually already close to book value. So and it's only happened twice in the last 20 years that the sector's hit, hit book. None of these companies are going to lose money. They'll probably be just, they're going to be just fine. Um, provisions will go up. Earnings will probably need to come down a little bit. Um, but the multiples on the stocks already kind of reflect that. And you're getting somewhere between, you know, four and a half and 7% dividend yield. Um, so at some point during the next year, two years, you will go from what's called sort of what I think of as kind of a late cycle in the economy, and banks are early cycle stocks. Uh, and when you actually have the economy slow down and the Bank of Canada starts to cut rates, which will, will probably happen in the next year or so, the companies will start seeing through the downturn and start, even though earnings won't be great, they'll start pricing things. And the multiples will go from, historically, they're from eight to 12 times, and they'll start working from eight and a half, nine, Back times they the are now side. back up to the the mm. other side, and that's something I will be looking at. For now, it's an area I'm a little I'm in the funds. I'm been underweight because I've seen better opportunities. But as the valuations get more interesting, the dividend gets gets higher. I know the capital is okay. I know the banks are going to be around in the next thirty years. I want to start thinking about you know when's the right time to sort of add there um, to catch the next up cycle. So I think you've answered the, this question directly. The, the question is: Is the worst over for Canadian banks? I and mean, I think you've sort of. It's a perspective of where within the industry some of that. Yeah, the market has the market has priced in a lot of bad things to come. What yes. I would say is that provisions are going to go up. Don't expect a lot of earnings growth, and you probably have a few negative revisions for the banks in terms of what they can earn because provisions hits over a long period of time are something around you know fifty some odd basis points. Um, they've been you know like. 20 basis points. They've been so far below normal for the last number of years. It's just people just haven't been have been paying their bills on pretty much everything. Um, they will normalize. Um, that will reduce earnings a, a little bit. Um, but that's just sort of normal. Um, and um, you know the consumer 
white flea should be, at least in Canada, should be a little, a little bit weaker than normal uh, until rates, um, you know, hopefully exactly. start coming down. And with the inflation, that's you know headed in the right direction right now. Do you think they're going to come down soon? Um, if you look, we were, and once again, we were talking about this, like if you look at like the U.S. right now, they're pricing 100 bips of cuts. Soonish. Yeah, it's soonish over the next year and starting um, sometime in the new year. Um, my guess is there'll be a little bit, the market's probably a little bit too over-optimistic on cuts, um, just because in my own personal opinion would be you... You really want to see, you want to win the game before you sort of you. you this is you, the central banks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the central banks want to sort of be able to declare victory with with numbers that actually sort of make sense. So you're down in the somewhere in maybe in the high twos or something in terms of inflation uh, or mid twos, and they can say, "Listen, we've won." They do not want the scenario where they go and cut early and inflation comes back. And they have, they're stuck there, geez, we just cut. Maybe we need to raise again because oil prices are going, um, you know, like rents are starting to go up again. Everyone's getting a little sort of over exuberant and prices start going up again. So my own opinion is, yes, there will be cuts, uh, but maybe a little bit slower than the market thinks, just because I think the central banks want to be sure they've won this and they don't get hit with uh, being, um, being a little too early. Markets get optimistic, sometimes over-optimistic. Um, there's a lot of smart people trading bonds. Why, mm -hmm. why do you think these cuts are are? And then I promise we'll get off macro. But yeah, I'm just yeah. but I'm just kind of curious. Like, why do you think so many cuts are being brought in here? The soft landing narrative is uh, well, I guess it's consensus, is it? Yeah. Well, right now at least the data supports it. Inflation's yeah. been coming down okay. every month, so it's uh, the Fed says they're data dependent, and if they're data dependent. Um, those are those are the uh, those are the numbers, and I I think the market broadly does say, and certainly in Canada, you'd say over a long period of time, um, you know, we're probably not going to be able to support a uh, like a five percent short short rate. And this is one of my comments about like it's great to have the cash now, um, but that cash that five percent, you know, in a year may not be five percent. It may be, a, and in fact, if the market's right, it could be a lot lower. And right now, you can go in buy dividend stocks that are actually benchmark against that 5% and have come down in value. A year from now, if the if rates are a lot lower, chances are the multiples on some of these really good dividend stocks are actually higher. Right. Okay. All right. So, so let's go back into that. that. You know, there's real growth prospects for some of these companies in terms of the multiple story. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of companies are you looking for? I mean, I think you've sketched out within within certain sectors. Give us a little bit on the style that you like to invest. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's always good companies at reasonable prices that it's can GARP. maintain. Yeah. yeah, it's it's sort of GARP, but I'm a little more on the sort of the GARP stands for growth at a reasonable price, and I'm a little more on the reasonable price, um, with the idea that. Um, if you buy right, um, you don't take big hits on the valuation in, in downturns, uh, and you at, at some point will get the upside. So I always think of things, and it's very simple. Like investing is not rocket science. Um, your dividend, your dividend yield, um, you know, say it's four percent plus what a company can grow at, and if that's an eight percent or ten percent number, add the dividend yield, add the uh, add the growth in earnings. Uh, and then if your multiple state that you're buying the company stays at the same, you can add four plus 10 and think of that as a 14% total return. Right. And over time, that sh should beat the market. And I just want to work with our analysts and find companies that we think where you know, things are improving uh, and we can get a, a good yield plus some growth. And we know they, there's enough money left over after the dividend where you can actually go and invest in the company and sustain that growth. 
And over time, that's a really good algorithm um, because you're not just, if you think about your, um, you're buying a bond, well, I get, you know, like you get, you buy a $100 bond, you get 5% a year, but you're getting that same $5 in nominal terms every year for 10 years and the purchasing power of that $5 goes down every year. You're with a dividend, with a company that's growing 8% and at a 4% yield, hopefully they just keep growing that dividend and that's what I tell companies, as long as your payout ratio is okay, you know, grow your dividend next year at 8%, grow the same as you're growing. And then it's like over a long period of time, if your dividend is growing at 8% a year, seven or 8% over a year, over 10 years, you're actually getting close to a double uh, in what your cash flow is. So it's like growth in cash flow um, at a reasonable price um, is actually a pretty good pitch for at least a portion of your portfolio. So is this a particularly good time to take a look at dividend stocks, would you say? Yeah, I, I think from the, the standpoint of obviously tech has been um, a huge outperformer this year, just like it was a huge underperformer last year. There's a lot of really good sectors um, where you've got good companies. I'm thinking about like consumer staples. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about utilities. There's some areas of real estate. There's some area of healthcare that have all acted a little bit like sort of bond proxies yeah. to a certain extent this year. Um, but they're really good businesses um, where the multiples have actually compressed a lot because rates are up. If rates went up and multiples compressed, then if rates go down, hopefully multiples can go back up. And I'm hoping that will be a story for next year. As long as the economy is okay and we can, as you say, have a soft landing and the rates come down a little bit, um, there's a lot of companies that really good businesses uh, where you haven't been able to buy them at these kind of multiples for a number of years because they're having to compete against different asset classes that haven't been this interesting in 10 or 15 years. Fascinating. And, and just to sort of continue with that loop, the idea that perhaps now, I mean, we've seen it in flow. So a lot of people have gone because they finally have an option to yep. take a look at bonds and actually money market fund. make yep. some money market funds and and, and make some, some yield along the way. Again, just the switching back, perhaps in some cases, to a more equity focused, you, you get the growth. This yeah, is the piece. It's the, it, and it's, as I say, I have nothing against, I'm, you know, over time, relatively conservative investor. I think it's wonderful that savers are actually getting money, yeah. um, putting it in, in the bank or a money, mar, mar, money market fund at Fidelity or, you know, the, jumping into Jeff Moore's, you know, uh, sort of bond funds here, um, here at Fidelity. That's, that's terrific, um, but you've got those rates for a certain amount of time. Uh, if the market is actually right, uh, and we're going into a little bit of slower growth, inflation is coming down, those rates that you got um, are not going to be around forever. And the, the one thing that is I mean, wonderful about dividend stocks is as long as the company is good, um, the yield you get is what is, or the, the cash flow that's coming off that company, you have forever. It's not going to decrease, and it should not only it should not only not decrease. It should grow at the rate of uh, hopefully the company is growing at. And it's a nice time right now when some of these stocks have been have their multiples decreased because of the competing asset classes to actually go out and buy a reasonably priced dividend stock that will give you wonderful cash flow right now. That's actually going to grow for years and years and hopefully decades to come, as opposed to yields that um, on like cash that may come back down. Um, and it could be as soon as next year. When you, um, I, I mean, the, the big question is often, what if the dividend gets cut? You know, what if the company gets gets into trouble? That's yep. one of the things that, so is it fair to say you don't invest in companies where that's a, an issue? Hopefully not. There's the occasional time when we know things, dividends are going to get 
are, are going to get cut. And we'd say, well, if they get cut, the stock should go to here. Um, it's them pricing that. The, the business is sustainable. They were just, it's an okay company, but the yield was too high. And occasionally we'll look at that. Generally, our analysts do a very good job of um, figuring out, this is why we model out income statement, cash flow statement, uh, um, balance sheet. And we figure out, is the balance sheet okay? Is, you know, is it over levered or the under levered? Can they take on more, more debt and be okay? Is the cash flows okay to service the debt and to service the ongoing growth of the business? And that's the big one that often people forget. Right. Business is totally fine. They can pay out, they can pay their debt, no, no big deal. Yeah, but they don't have enough left over to actually grow the business. And suddenly we've got you you basically have bought a bond. Right. Um, and so what we're trying to do is um, work with the analysts who talk to the companies who model all this stuff out and find businesses that will pro provide you a good yield, but also provide you the growth in yield. And over time, um, you'll get both a nice yield spitting off you that's growing and capital appreciation in the stock, which is very different than um, some of the competing asset classes. Let's get to the telecoms. The question's coming in. Do you see a risk to dividends in the telecoms space? So let's, let's dig in there. The, the, the telecom space, I, I think, um, for the most part, um, the yields are the yields are are safe. Don't expect big increases. Like they're the, the growth. You shouldn't be thinking in them as big dividend growers at, at this point. They the payout ratios are. Um, I'd say a little in, depends on which one you look at, but probably a little bit on the elevated side. And what you know, my suggestion for those companies is: listen, go and grow earnings. Um, if you if you grow earnings five percent, raise the dividend too. And bring and slowly bring the pay, payout ratio down. So that's a sector where the yields are nice. Um, don't expect huge growth in earnings, um, and don't expect huge growth in the cash flow on the dividend side. Think about that's sort of what you're getting. You'll get a little bit of increase on the dividend, um, but they should be bringing the payout ratios are probably a little bit high um, for this interest rate environment. A lot of company um, executives are are commenting on how they're trying to figure out how AI might work within the company and, you know, help them get their costs down. That's, that's yep. essentially the sort of efficiency argument. Um, what do you hear about this? A lot of the companies that, that you invest in are large, conglomerate, yep. big companies that probably would benefit by getting costs down. Is any of that priced in yet or are we too far away? Uh, I think... This will be interesting. Um, from my perspective, there's not a lot of huge AI winners in the, that you're looking at, you know, like the chip companies or no. the companies that are doing data centers or I guess, well, data centers is an, sort of an example, but um, companies that where the, the impact is direct right now. I think it's a case of companies that can use the technology um, that are first movers, that are have the money to invest in them. So in some cases, bigger companies uh, that can put some money uh, into it. Uh, and figure out a better way to use the data. So what we're looking for, and I've got a number of these companies, companies that have a lot of data um, and have a lot of have a lot of cash flow, where they they, they use a unique data set, uh, and they can take the AI and plunk it on top of that unique data set that no one else has, right. and they they produce a competitive advantage then. And it's the data set really that's that's super important to them. And sort of the more data, the better. And then you can start taking this stuff where they could, it's impossible to crunch all the data we've got. Now it's not impossible to crunch right. all the data okay. you, we've got. And if you can you hire the right people, and I was actually talking to a company this morning that's got like hundreds of people you know, already working on this and has been for years. And, it, and just as the technology gets better, it's gonna be fantastic for them. Um, 
but it's because they've got this incredible data that they could never mine appropriately. And now you can you can use a computer and a, a lot of a lot of computing power um, to come up with differentiated product, you know, like pricing strategies um, and um, you know how to differentiate, like how to move volumes versus price and sort of optimize profit. Um, call center stuff. You can actually listen instead. Of, you can optimize. You could never. You might have been companies might have listened into five, ten percent of their call center calls just to see how people were doing. Now you can you can uh, you can use language models. You can listen into a hundred percent, and you can go and figure out okay, are we selling properly? Who's doing a good job? Who's doing a poor job? Um, how do we optimize um, this and make the the sort of the sell through for every person that comes into our call center actually a, a lot better? And the data can do it for you. So there's a lot of ways to do it for my companies. It's just not as immediately transition into, into revenues. The long, the long term though, companies with the best data um, who employ it the best are gonna maintain are gonna maintain and generate a competitive advantage and do really well for years to come and it's our job to find them. And what about those companies' dividends in theory? Um, it should help. It yeah. should from a standpoint if productivity improves and um, your profit margins can improve because you're mining the data better, you're getting better sell-through, um, you're, you can lower your costs a little bit, um, your dividend growth should actually pick up because earnings growth will pick up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, a, it's really interesting. It's just not sort of priced into a lot of these stocks because no one, you're not sure who the winners and losers are, um, but you know, we're sort of figuring that out as, as we go along and you'll start to see it over the next, the next number of years. And it's really exciting. It is really exciting. Don Newman, thank you for joining us on Fidelity Connects. Great yep. to see you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.